You're listening to John's Cast, an unofficial fan podcast about the greatest Australian football team, the Essendon Bombers. My name is Jamie. And I'm Nick. Well, we thought we'd be doing a review show after Sunday's game, but unfortunately the game didn't go ahead at all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was a bit of a uh, kerfuffle on the weekend with Connor McKenna testing positive to COVID-19, which is a bit yeah, very disheartening for, for Connor. I mean, she's had a bit of a rough start to the year, so hopefully he recovers from that. But I mean, even just today, we've seen that uh, he's returned a negative result. So yeah, it's a bit interesting as to this. And I know like Essendon and the AFL are working through to find out more about the situation. In the end, the game didn't go ahead. So yeah, looks at this stage, Connor McKenna and James Stewart won't be available for a selection as uh, James Stewart was deemed to be a close contact by the Department of Health and Human Services. So, look, not as bad as it could have been. At one stage, we were looking to lose the whole back line. But, yeah, still um, definitely hurts that we lose Connor and Stuart for um, for a couple of weeks. But, um, yeah, what's your take, Jane? Yeah, well, I had that horrible feeling on Saturday. You know, I was watching the North and Sydney game and, you know, waiting in anticipation for the Bomber game the next day. And then they made reference to an AFL press conference. Now, being a Bomber supporter, when I hear that, um, a nervous chill goes through my spine. Not that I think that we would ever be in the same situation we found ourselves a number of years ago, but it's like Murphy's Law. It's got to be us. Something's going on, and that's the way I felt. So when it was called at 4 o'clock, I thought, well, it's either two things. One, the AFL is going to suspend the AFL season again for a couple of weeks due to the number of high cases, because the same day, Daniel Andrews had called a press conference, winding back a little bit of the uh, agreements that he'd made to expand on like restaurants and pubs and so forth. So I thought maybe that was going to have an impact on the AFL season. But of course, uh, once you learnt an, a suspected player had COVID-19, yeah, I've got to say, I immediately thought, you watch, it'll be us. So, uh, in the end, it turned out Connor was the person that they'd um, identified. And I've got to say, listening to some of the commentary surrounding that, absolutely shameful. You know, this is a medical condition where, okay, he might not fit the age demographic of people who have passed away, but let's not forget, this is a serious condition and the way it was reported without any knowledge of what had gone on it's just disgusting and you know also i was a little bit disappointed some of the Essence own fans tried to eat our own okay we might be upset we, our game wasn't going to go ahead but got to remember you know like any good team one in all in and you know i hope we refrain from doing that as a club because we need to stand by each other and that's how we'll become strong again yeah, bang on, Jame. And look, I've got a bit of a, you know, bit of a rant. I want to sort of go on because, like you, I was pretty disappointed with some of the commentary coming out. Yeah, you know, particularly from from media and ex players. I mean, look, as a bomber supporter, we shouldn't be surprised that you know people show their true colours in times like this. So, look, I just wanted to raise a few points, and um, hopefully you'll bear with me. But I mean, firstly, I just want to comment on those people saying that Essendon should, should have had to forfeit the game with Melbourne to, and Melbourne should get the four points. Look, I, I just personally think that's a ridiculous proposition. The game was postponed due to very well thought out protocols, which had been devised to ensure the competition could still go ahead. 
as we all continue to navigate the dangers posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. And look, let's, let's reflect on the word competition there. If a side is disadvantaged from precautionary measures imposed on them for very good reason, mind you, that's one thing. I know personally, while not ideal, I would have been happy for us to field our best 22 available to go against Melbourne, you know, if those other six players had to self-isolate the trained with him. So yeah, it would have depleted our back line, but at least that way we're still in with a chance to win as there's a game to contend. But to make a side forfeit a match, it's just not in the spirit of competition. And, you know, imagine if Frio and West Coast were forced to forfeit two games if they had to self-isolate for two weeks and return to WA. That sort of thing shouldn't happen. I doubt it would happen, and I'm glad that sense prevailed. Second, I want to sort of address the claims by Cam Mooney and David King, who commented they had no sympathy for Conor McKenna. Look, as uh, Jamie said, you know, this guy contracted a virus, and it's just putrid commentary, and I can't believe that these AFL-backed commentators don't get held accountable for their, their sort of statements. Like, this virus has claimed hundreds of thousands of lives across the world, and it's why we've all had to be so careful in how we interact with each other for months. Look, at the end of the day, Connor went to a house inspection. It wasn't a wild rave, and, you know, even like other players, he definitely didn't go to a house party. So, you know, it's not like he's he's gone out there and, and tried to do something wrong. Um, he's very unlucky to have contracted this, and our first, third, and second thought should be about Connor's physical and mental health, um, as well as that of his close friends and relatives. There are things bigger than footy, James, and, you know, the staggering ignorance these comments sort of show to me is pretty disgusting. I'll just jump in there. I, I wanted to say we thought he contracted it. Now, the latest reports are now saying he's come up negative for the fourth time. So that's got to put in serious doubt. Was that a false positive? Think of some of the commentary that's gone on, you know, damning this person. And, um, okay, you know, Essendon aren't going to concede that he's done anything wrong yet. You know, you haven't seen Xavier come out and say, I'm very disappointed in Connor's action. They are backing Connor. The same way I'm asking our supporters, you know, we're, we're all on the same team. Let's not eat our own and uh, let's give everyone an opportunity. And let's now after these results today... It could very well be it was a false positive. And again, this sounds like a massive balls up, but like I said earlier, we barrack for Essendon, so we should expect it. Yeah, and with that, you know, we've seen Paul Marsh from the AFLPA. He came out and stated, actually, he didn't go into the house inspection, wasn't against protocol. I'm sure there'll be more investigation around that as to the facts as to what was and was not allowed or not allowed but it seems like this was a bit of a gray area that you know potentially the afl or other people weren't uh, completely prepared for but look my last little rant before i step off my soapbox is to those who relish the opportunity to face a depleted essence squad again i'll go back to that spirit of competition if you need a side to be disadvantaged to improve your chances of a win that just shows your side isn't good enough it also demonstrates pretty poor character uh, to my mind you know, to kick someone while they're down, it's a pretty dog act. And a real competitor wants to beat the best available competition. And I think we saw that, James, with uh, Toby Green. He came out and said, you know, I feel bad for Conor McKenna and Essendon. Um, let's hope he uh, pulls through this. Like, there's a bloke, love him, I hate him. He's a competitor. He wants to beat the best available out there to say, I'm the best. So, look, while there's been some pretty poor commentary, I do want to say that uh, some journalists went a bit early, made some claims uh, that are later they've had to recount. So Sam McClure, look, I'm I'm not a big fan of his, 
but he did come out and uh, admit he was wrong and apologize. And, you know, some people say, oh, that's not a real apology. But, you know, I still think it shows a level of integrity that's unfortunately pretty rare these days. You won't find that with Caroline Wilson. Yes, I just said that. But, <laughs> you know, we saw her last night, you know, smug in a way that she was saying, well, I know the five players, but I'm not going to name them who aren't going to be playing. Caroline, you were wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but again, you you won't find her saying that. I do want to say that I loved Gary O'Donnell's comment that, you know, if something like this happened during the finals or even grand final week, you know, what would we do then? I think it's a great comment to reflect on as uh, we'd be pretty naive to think that over the course of this season, another case won't happen. You know, it's a, it's a big world and there's a lot of players in the AFL. So if a player did get the virus later on in the season, we absolutely would not want a forfeited final, let alone a grand final. So I thought that was an important thing to reflect on there. Yeah, well, as Wusher would say, there were some key learnings there. <laughs> but um, yeah, as you said, we probably should step off the soapbox because... Ultimately, we're here to talk about the Bombers, but um, yeah, I just wanted to go into bat, and I think you did too, to say, hey, I want to see us be united, and I think that's the way our club will be strong again, and um, yes, we've gone through some horrible situations, and I understand fan frustration, but it always seems to be us. We need to lose that woe is me mentality and start saying, okay, let's face this challenge again, and you know, as we're seeing now, who knows, this may be turned around and this may be a false positive. And where do we go from there? No one knows at this stage. They're making more inquiries. But lastly, on this subject, I'd just like to say, you know, I'm so proud that Xavier Campbell, the way that he goes about it, so clear and concise. You know, I feel like he's involving his fans. He's, you know, when he, I know he's speaking to the media the other day, but you almost feel like he's talking to his members as well. So... Yeah, big shout out to Xavier. I think he does a great job and it's not a great situation we found in. Like, we all wanted to watch the Bombers play on Sunday, but um, Connor's health and safety and the rest of the squads in turn is much more important than us sitting back and watching the game on Sunday. So, yeah, let's hope the Bombers can move on from this and, uh, yeah, let's uh, hope we can start to turn our attention towards Carlton. Now, um, probably the... One person we haven't mentioned in all this too much is um, it's a bit unfortunate for James Stewart that he's the only player that seems to have been identified as significant risk for James was trying to get back into the side. I wonder how they came to that conclusion. Yeah, so the reports were that after the DHHS, uh, so Department of Health and Human Services, reviewed all the data uh, and all the footage that um, Essen was able to provide them regarding the uh, training that had been undertaken, um, who Connor had had contact with. Basically, what happened was James Stewart was a sort of you know wrestling partner during the training that Connor took part in, and that level of close contact is what made him be identified as yeah someone who could have potentially contracted the virus. You know, obviously you're you're right up against each other, so there's no getting around that. And as I went through the protocols, I personally think they they've done the right thing and. You know, made sure that both players are safe, uh, got them tested, um, as well as the whole playing group to go, you know, is anyone else at risk or do they have the virus potentially? Now, fortunately, James Stewart has also returned a negative test. So, yes, unfortunate that he's, yeah, he was looking really fit. And uh, as we sort of commented a, a couple of weeks ago, like the way he was speaking, 
was so positive. Like he was just in a really great frame of mind. So to have him, you know, have to sit out for another couple of weeks and self-isolate, unfortunate. But at the end of the day, uh, safety is paramount. So uh, I'm sure he'll take this in his stride and the boys will get around each other when they're able to. And uh should be noted too, with the way that we were criticised for our handlings with the Asada thing, and I don't like to go over that, but it was pleasing to see... We've actually been praised about our protocols and that was a key reason why they had so much data available to them is the way the club has conducted themselves with these protocols and actually followed them to the letter. And that's made it, it gave the DHHS all the information they needed to make an informed decision. So that's another thing the average fan doesn't think about, but to see the club has changed. You know, the biggest thing we were criticised with the Asada thing was just our lack of, you know, basically keeping records and, you know, it was just wasn't up to scratch. Where here we're being praised for exemplary um, handling of our protocol. So well done to the club again. So finishing on this, basically Mel- the Melbourne game will go ahead, but we're not sure when. And it won't be in the next two weeks between Carlton and the Collingwood game. So we know that much. So I believe the AFL will make a further fixturing announcement. I think on Thursday, they said. So Thursday, we may have a better understanding. But that game will definitely be replayed, or not replayed, but be played um, after being postponed. But we're not sure what day break we're going to have between one of our games. I imagine that's why they've made these fixtures basically Thursday to Sunday. So it gave them a little bit of play in the fixture where they can possibly fixture a side to play on a Wednesday and um, play again on a Sunday. No different to what we've done in some Anzac games because we've just had to because of the of the fixturing and the and the date of Anzac Day. I just want to say on that, James, like a few people did call for the game to be played as soon as possible, so even like could have been like this evening or even tomorrow. Uh, the reason they didn't go for that was because Melbourne, wanting to prepare their players, and rightly so, they played a full four-quarter match sim, so their players just wouldn't have been in a condition to, to back up you know, by today or tomorrow. So the decision has been made to play it later in the season. Xavier Campbell did speak to media this afternoon and seemed to indicate the game would be scheduled for later in the season. So I'm thinking back half of this already condensed season. Um, but as you say, we'll, we'll wait for um, AFL direction and um, see what happens from there. All right. Well, that was a big start. That's a longest uh, intro, I think. But it was a, a very important subject. So I'm glad we went in depth with it with as much as we know. And um, yeah, we uh, will look forward to our next segment after the break, where we'll go through our predictions for the side on Thursday to be named. You're listening to Don's Cast. We'll see you after the break. You're listening to Don's Cast. So it's great that the Bombers are playing again. Yeah, we can look forward to Saturday night. It's definitely going to be going ahead. And we're going against an impressive Carlton side who went down the highway and beat the Cats. And in fact, very impressively, led from start to finish. Yeah, it was a great performance, actually. And bloody Eddie Betts, didn't he turn it on? I mean, he's, he's what, like 33 years old? And he just wound back the clock. You know, kicked a couple of really important goals and seemed to be everywhere. And particularly the last couple of minutes there, 
made a couple of really important tackles. So good on him. You know, it just takes a lot for me to say as an Essendon supporter. But um, well done to Eddie Betts. And yeah, good on you, Carlton, for um, really sticking in and not putting up the white flag this stage of the season. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how they carry this form forward through the season. One thing I've sort of noted, and maybe you have too, James, is um, with a new coach, David Teague, taking over, everything... I've heard uh, from around the club is that he's he's opened up the shackles on him. You know, he's uh, allowed them to play a more uh, sort of free-flowing game as opposed to being more rigid. You know, have you read their sort of style of play more generally, James? Yeah, well, they've still got some very good players out when you think of like Charlie Curnow. Uh, that's a player that they would dearly love. You know, also uh, ah. in Cruiser. So these players have been missing and they're that... Mark Pettinay has really, you know, stepped up. He's actually been really impressive. And I believe when Essendon were hunting around for another Ruckman, I believe we did inquire about uh, Pettinay before we made a decision to go with uh, Phillips. So it's actually funny that both players Essendon were looking at because they knew they needed some more Ruck depth, especially with uh, Sam Draper coming back from a knee surgery and Bell Chambers can no longer be expected to play 22 games. So, yeah, but Pitney was very impressive. And well, I think we all know Geelong's weakness seems to be their ruck. So that stood out to me again. One thing I did note is that in Carlton's first two games, they were really jumped and they were made to look really second-rate. Whereas in this game, they totally addressed it. And, you know, obviously led from start to finish. But I, I tell you what, they must have given their fans a few scares because that last quarter comeback by Geelong showed that Carlton still had some weaknesses in their game. Yeah, absolutely. I think they led the at the third quarter by almost five goals or around that anyway. And um, yeah, Geelong uh, steadily pegged them back and looked like they were going to overrun them. Yeah, I believe it got up to nearly seven goals. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Geelong know that ground very well, but they hadn't capitalised in that in the first three quarters. But, you know, uh, yeah, Carlton were impressive for three quarters, but still showed they still have some kinks to iron out. Mm. And, um, you know, I think the good thing for us too is that our players can't take this game lightly. And they now, like in some ways, Carlton have showed their hand in that they, they can beat anyone, as we saw they beat Geelong, if you don't respect them. And that's the way I felt Geelong treated them on the night. Yeah, that's that's a fair call. That for a long time, there's been a uh, big move to a more equal competition where really any side. I mean, look at Gold Coast this year. They've they've knocked off West Coast and Frio, if I'm not wrong. Um, or at least Adelaide gave them a, a touch up. So yeah, anyone can beat anyone else on their day. So you definitely can't take them for granted. Yeah, that's right. So I guess when we look at this side, um, that yeah, we're we're doing it a couple of days out before the team is named. So let's guess the side. So we know for sure from the team that was named to play Melbourne, we know that Connor McKenna obviously won't play, and we also know Dyson Heppel will miss after um, you know, being playing in the side that beat Sydney that day. He won't be back. So at least at least two spots open. Now, I guess the first question is, do you drop any more than that? Is it just the two players that are unavailable? Is there any other improvements you can see in the side? Yeah, I mean, for mine, the, it's going to be interesting because we've got so many small forwards and you've really got to think about who can best value add to the team as a whole. And for mine, I still think Snelling, like he doesn't, look, he, his effort is definitely there, but you've got Orazio Fandagia potentially coming back. And I think... 
Like he can run the wings and get dangerous down forward, whereas Snelling doesn't really give us the same impact. So I still think Snelling's in the firing line if Fantasia was to get up. But what about yourself, James? Do you, do you see anyone else uh, potentially missing out? Yeah, well, it's funny. I the way I'm seeing it, I, I kind of see the two changes, just the two. I think they'll go with Snelling, I, I think. Carousel especially really likes Snelling's game. Um, we know when Carousel was at Richmond, he really likes those small forwards that provide forward uh, pressure. So I think Snelling might survive. So I've got my two changes. I've got Fantasia coming in, if fit. And also uh, I've got Guelphy coming back into the side. Yeah, I think those two will come in for the McKenna and Heppel. Uh, I did think about Paddy Ambrose because I know the club rate him very highly, but I don't think it's the right time to play him against Carlton because we know Carlton's keys are Levi Casbolt and uh, Mackay, who's a very good mark and very tall player. He's like 200 centimetres plus. And when he puts those arms above his head, honestly, we don't have a player to match that. And I don't think Ambrose has got the reach to do that either. So... He might still miss out. He might be waiting for another opportunity. The other player that I guess we've kind of forgotten about because he hasn't been in the realm of the side so far, but he did such a great job last year. Do they think about it, Dylan Clark, um, and try and tag him with Cripps again? Because, you know, whether Cripps wasn't right or not, he did an outstanding job last year. Yeah, absolutely, James. I don't know, like we sort of mentioned it earlier on in different podcasts, but the, the players that are on the periphery of the side... You know, not in the best 22. They'll be jumping at any potential opportunity they can. So I know Dylan Clark will probably be around the club getting in everyone's ear saying, oh, I reckon I could do another job on that uh, on Carlton. So, you know, obviously you haven't... I mean, I know at that stage of the year, Cripps was a bit down on form. I still, I think he had some shoulder issues. So might not have been 100%, but he definitely clamped down on him in any case. Played a fantastic game and racked up a few possessions himself. So personally, I think he won't make it into the side. I think he's he's still a touch off. And the one thing that's still a, a massive improvement area for him is his, his kicking. He's a bit of a liability by foot. And that's one thing that looking at a new game plan that will be, you know, looking to avoid, you know, people who cough the ball up to the opposition. So look, for mine... I think Guelphie will actually keep his spot. His versatility around the ground, particularly with, with Heppel being out, uh, we need people that do have that uh, ability to sort of chuck, them into, chuck themselves into contests when they need to, but can also play uh, different roles if we need them, um, you know, whether it's down back or, or in the middle or even on a wing. Guelphie can definitely offer that. But, you know, I've sort of toyed with the idea, would Gleeson come in, obviously, with Connor McKenna being out? He generally does play that halfback role for us, and Gleeson's a... He's a really good player on that halfback. He just reads the play so well, can be so attacking with his kicking as well. So, yeah, I mean, for mine, you know, it looks like Razio Fantasia is still a test in terms of fitness. If he was fit, I'd be bringing him in for Snelling. But as it stands, I would probably be bringing Guelphie and, and Gleeson into the side to sort of make up the numbers for McKenna and Heppel with Langford and Parrish to take up Heppel's minutes in the middle because... Yeah, they these boys definitely need more opportunity in there, and they've definitely demonstrated uh, they're more than capable of the task when required. Yeah, I feel it's a really big game for Darcy Parrish. You've just sensed that he's going to get a lot more midfield minutes, and uh, he had an outstanding last quarter against Sydney, but uh, I'd love to see him get those opportunities early in the game against Carlton and actually make, you know, a men- like not a men's, but make 
more more of his opportunities. So it just sticks in the coach's mind. We've got to play this guy in the guts because you know we, we've all commented he's great below his knees with the footy. He's got lightning hands. Yeah, you know, he's a really good player to to get the ball out to our running players. So in McGrath and Shield and Zach Merritt. So, yeah, I just feel like this is a key game for Darcy. Put his name in the coach's board to be named in the centre. Now, we talked about Eddie Betts. Now, he was, you know, had a great game. Obviously, in the past, we've played Andy McGrath on him, and he's done a great job. And obviously, we've got Sardi as an option. We don't want to take McGrath away from the centre, I imagine, especially if uh, Heppel's out. So, do you think we'll go Sardi again? Yeah, I mean, I just think if you need to lock down defender that can run with someone as quick as Eddie. Look, he's, he's not going to run around as much as he probably did in the past, but I'd personally be going a, a sard on, on Eddie. Not only is he such a good lockdown defender, but he can actually hurt you back the other way. Uh, and I think that'll make Eddie Betts a lot more accountable. He can't just float free and pick up the 40 as he pleases and uh, just have a ping from anywhere in 50. So yeah, I'd definitely go sardy for mine. And look, I'm very confident in the rest of our back six to pick up the likes of, you know, the Gibbons and those types that can be dangerous around goal. I think, you know, obviously players like Ridley and Francis are more than capable of holding up their own against them. But what about you, Jamie? Who, did, who would you have on bets? Yeah, uh, again, it all comes down to personnel named. Sardi could play on bets for sure. Do we want to free up Sardi so he can just focus on, you know, giving us extra run? Then you, you might lock down someone, like you say, you make the job to Guelphie even to go down and, and play. Because Guelphie's a very strong player in terms of physical player. And we've seen in the past, you don't like to rattle Eddie because that's when he wants to come back and burn you. But you do need to stand up for yourself. So the only thing we're playing Guelphie on bets, I don't want Eddie's confidence up early. So I just hope we put our best punch into it. And if that means playing Sardi on bets, just to show bets that there's no way knowing you can keep up with this guy. If he gets out, you, know, you may as well give up running Eddie because as fast as you were, you will not make ground on Adam Sard when he's in front of you. So in some ways, I'd, I'd like Sardi to really show Eddie that you're going to get most of your goals playing Joe de Goose in terms of playing back and hoping the ball turns over so you're out free. And I think we can make Carlton pay if we're, we start running off him and we keep possession of the ball that's the most important thing you can't turn over the footy otherwise you're going to have small forwards sitting out the back on their own and we all know how frustrating that is so yeah that was one i'd be uh mindful of it's a really important decision who we go with especially eddie's such a confidence player we wouldn't like to see him up and about early another big matchup guy who got votes as uh, best player in the ground i believe was uh, levi casbolt he had a really good game obviously he's a great mark and we know the history of his kicking can be a bit iffy but he nonetheless he's marking around the ground very important who do you think we'll go with there mate yeah, he's he's one of those players that look. If you're a Carlton fan, you'd be really frustrated because he he does he's got very strong jukes. You know, can take a grab, no worries. But his his kicking has been iffy. So, I mean, personally for mine, I'd be going with the hooker. He's got the strength and the height to to go with him, and he reads the play. Like I think Hooker would be able to read the play better than Casbolt, or at least make sure that Casbolt isn't getting any easy marks. So if he was getting any, they'd be right out on the fifty on the boundary to really limit his impact and and opportunities for goal. So yeah, definitely Hooker for mine. What about yourself, Jamie? Who would you have him? 
Yeah, well, tough one. I know Hurley rarely plays on anyone now. He plays as that almost third backman who likes to get plenty of the possession. But I think Rutten's going to make him more accountable. I think they want Francis to play a bit more loose off. And I think what they might do is get Hurley to go with Casbolt because the other player that is highly impressive in the Carlton side, and although he's young, is uh, Mackay. He's 200-plus centimetres. Takes great mark, and uh, Hooker having that little bit extra height, I think that will be an important matchup. And I, I don't think Hurley can match the height of Mackay. And we saw uh, Hurley get beaten by, uh, I think it was Skinner, wasn't it, uh, from in that first game against Freo. Mm. That was really disappointing, his body work. I like the fact that if Hurley's playing on Casbolt, Casbolt will move up the ground further and... You know, as I said, even if he does mark it inside 50, there's no certainty that he's going to kick a goal. So I think I would be going, in this case, I'd go Hooker onto Mackay and Hurley onto Casbolt. But yeah, like I said, we can we, we can wait and see the game itself. But both of those players are quite tall, both Casbolt and Mackay. And you do need some reach to spoil them because if the ball's placed you know, just above their head, you know, it's going to be pretty good marking opportunity for their players. Yeah, spot on there, James. Like, don't mind your um, don't mind your calls there. I just worry with Hooker whether he could go with Mackay. Like, obviously, being a younger, uh, young buck uh, up and coming, I just worry whether his speed and agility might be too much for Hooker. But I do like your thought process uh, in that potentially Hurley could drag a Casbolt out out of position and make him actually worry about the defender. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see who lines up. I mean, personally, I'd I'd be going a I'd almost be going a, a sort of a Francis on Mackay. I know there's like a, obviously a massive disparity in height, but I think Hook, uh, Francis reads the play really well. But you know that's just that's just my take. He's got a big leap on him. He, he can, like, he's definitely shown he can defend really well. But, you know, obviously the, the coaches know a lot better than me. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Another matchup, as we mentioned before, about Mark Pitney. Now, this is where Tommy's got to really stamp his authority. You know, Tommy's one of our leaders. Yeah, he's not in the leadership group, but he's definitely a player that the club and its players look up to, not just because he's 202 <laughs> centimetres tall. But, yeah, Tommy's got to show, hey, I've been playing league footy a lot longer than you. I'm, you know, stronger than you, and I'm going to show it on the night. And I, I want Tommy to actually, you know, not get sucked in by giving free kicks away and so forth. And, um, yeah, make Mark Pitney really hurt during the contest. And when I say hurt, you know, show, use your nous around the ground about you know, giving a little one here and there where you can get away with it and making him know that he's playing against a first-class ruckman. Yeah, I think that's definitely the key. Like The one thing we've both spoken about is Bell Chambers' physicality, you know, particularly around the ruck contest. He definitely needs to show that because I, f- I feel that Pitney is also like a, like a good tap ruckman. But, you know, if Bally starts showing that physicality, Pitney will start worrying about, you know, Bally smashing into him as opposed to the the footy so i think that'll put him off enough that our mids can take a bit more advantage of of the ruck contests like around the ground uh, and in the center so as i say it's a it's a big contest i think pitney will definitely be you know a lot more agile than than bally around the contest but if we can make sure that he's held accountable that he's not going to get cheapies and certainly that bally's not going to let him you know win the contest without making him feel each and every tap yeah i think that'll be 
definitely a big key for us uh, as we go into this game. Another player who's been getting a lot of credit this whole year, even when Carlton weren't winning games in the first two, Jacob Wiedering, he's been back to his great form when he first came into the league. Uh, he seems to be fit, been a key uh, member of their back line. I'm imagining they may send him down to uh, McKernan, you know, try and run off McKernan a bit. He's a bit more lean than that. So I think that this is a big game for Sean McKernan too because we need him to actually, you know, hold his uh, hold his marks, you know, take those big marks that he can do and actually hurt Weiring on a scoreboard so that Weiring has to think twice before trying to run off and if our players can hit their targets and make him pay, uh, he'll be a lot more defensive and will take a bit of attack out of their defence. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even though he's down on form last year, like, Wiedering is a class player. I mean, we saw that in his first first couple of years. So, look, it is, I suppose, good that he's in a good vein of form now because it is sad when you see really good players, you know, sort of drop off and don't pick up their, their form. So it is good to see him playing well. But, yeah, I'm really hoping that McKernan can make him uh, accountable by not dropping off. You know, we've definitely seen Sean McKernan. He'll show up for... You know, 15 minute periods and then you don't see him again we can't have that against you know weedering he'll he'll definitely make you make you hurt if you stuff around with the footy and i think uh, mccurn's definitely got the capability to stretch him like his marking power when he's on he's a very good one-on-one mark he can bust packs and you know we've no, we know he's got the kicking power to kick goals pretty quickly so yeah and i think if we can make sure that weedering is accountable don't let him be that loose man or if he thinks he's going to get an easy run out, like I'm pretty sure our forwards have that defensive pressure to tackle him down when he's trying to get a run on. So, you know, McKernan won't be, you know, one-on-one with him the whole game, but I think it will be a good matchup. And I'll, I'll actually back in our boys to make sure that's a contest we sort of isolate and yeah, give McKernan best possible opportunity on the day. And I guess the last one we'll talk about, Sam Walsh, he's a fantastic player for Carlton. I think it wouldn't be great if our number one draft pick, Andy McGrath, went head-to-head with this guy because Andy hates to be beaten and he's got the running ability to go with a Walsh, but he's also got the nous to hurt Walsh the other way. So I know we don't usually see these shootouts in terms of good players playing on one another, but I'd love to see that matchup where Walsh and McGrath go head-to-head. And uh, I've got to say, I'll definitely back Andy McGrath because there's one thing he hates, and that's getting beaten. Yeah, that's a fantastic call, James, and definitely a contest I'd love to see. And I think you're right. Like, I'd, I'd definitely back McGrath in to, to go with Walsh. Because, you know, Walsh is definitely a class player. And McGrath, he's shown he's so good in defense. So I reckon he'd be able to, you know, do a really good, really good job on Walsh. And, yeah, it'd be just a fantastic uh, spectacle to see for us fans. All right. Well, after the break, we're going to do something a little bit different that we haven't done before. And I don't know we're only five episodes in. But we, fought, we toyed around with this. And it's something that I enjoy. I, I'm a really big historian of the game and I love the drafts and so forth so my idea was to go back and we're going to do the two first national drafts so historically the 1986 and 1987 VFL drafts as they were named back then are historically seen as national drafts so what we're going to do after the break we're going to reimagine us being in control But we've got some rules around it, so it's not to be silly where you just pick the eyes out of it. So after the break, I'll explain that. But we're going to do a redraft of the 86 and 87 National Draft. We'll be back after the break.
So in this segment, redraft, what we're going to do is we're going to be the Essendon recruiting manager. And at the time, that was Noel Judkin. And actually, Noel still works for the club now. Um, I heard uh, Adrian Dodoro mention that Noel's one of the consultants. So talk about Essendon keeping their historic, history close to them. We know, you know, with Sheed still being on board in some way. You know, we're a club that like to keep our people close to us. So, yeah, we're going to imagine that we're Noel Judkins. And we're, we're not going to... We do have some limitations. So we just can't pick the best five players and say that's who our picks are. Uh, the rule is that when our pick comes up, we can only pick a player that's available to us after our pick, but prior to our next pick. So, for example, you can't pick a player in the 80, 86, for example, when, you know, your next pick was pick 25, so you had a chance to pick him up there. So we're going to have the limitation that you can only pick a player that's immediately after your pick up until your next pick. So with that, let's give it a little bit of a backdrop. We're going to talk about the 1986 draft because... After all, that is recognised as the first national draft. So if we set the stage, uh, the Bombers were beaten by a point in an elimination final against Fitzroy uh, at the, you know, prior to the draft. Um, and that was after a Mickey Conlon goal that still makes me feel like I'm swallowing glass because we'd really peppered the goals late in that game. and We had a five-point lead and uh, Murphy's Law, Fitzroy only had one crack at it and they, <laughs> Mickey Conlon launched onto a goal and sent us out of the finals. So that was disappointing because the prior two years were obviously the reigning champs, you know, winning 84 and 85, uh, reigning premiers. So uh, that was disappointing. So I guess with that, another thing we need to make mention of, that the data back then on players from different states was very limited. Yeah, obviously, we we didn't have the same information that the um, the recruiting staff have now. So, mate, I know you were fairly young when... (laughs) When this was around, but um, when we were going through this process, did you recognise any of the names and so forth? Oh, you definitely recognise some of the names, but you just, I suppose, going through this exercise, it makes you appreciate that as much as, you know, even now we you know, we'll, we'll sort of um bag Adrian Dodoro and say, Jesus, like, look at all the plays he picked that never played a game for us. Well, you know, looking at these these drafts, you know, it's obviously not something that's limited to one person. And definitely not something that's limited to one draft because it can be very hit and miss. And I think no matter how much data you've got, it's only true as of that day. So, you know, after that day, um, there's no more data until they get to your side and then it's it's all up in the air. Um, so, yeah, definitely recognize a few names. But as I said, you know, there's a lot of names that never played a game of footy that were picked by many sides. So, yeah, definitely interesting exercise to go through. All right, so we're talking about 1986, and as I said, we'd, we'd lost the elimination final. First time we'd been, we hadn't gone deep into the September because the previous three years we'd made the grand final, uh, two times winning it and one time a big loss to the Hawks. So we obviously had to do some readjustment. should also be noted that year we had some cruel injuries and uh, still really hurts me to know that Tim Watson, as great of a champion he is for us, he was absolutely cut down at the prime of his career, well, it should have been the prime of his career. When he was uh, aged 24 and 25, he played a 
total of 10 games for two seasons. So imagine Timmy Watson, if he had played uninterrupted, you know, he, he would even be more entrenched as a, as a legend of the game because you know, we all remember he started as a 15-year-old, which is unfathomable at this, these days. But um, you know, he obviously had the body type to be able to start at that age. But yeah, he, losing him to an ACL, and back then ACLs, were you know really touch and go if you if you came back at all because you know obviously the surgery uh, the way they were at that time we weren't as advanced and you know other injuries we had that year Paul Vanderhaar who you know we all remember taking those big hangers uh, he was injured for most of the year and of course um, our little rover Daisy Wooms who had a shocking time of concussions and uh, really lowered his career as well in terms of being available so when you look at the Bombers side even though they had a great eighty. 485 they were really against it at 86 and you know, i guess uh back then the draft also i should state this when you drafted a player it was highly unlikely they'd come to your club for two even three four seasons after you drafted them originally so yeah that's unthinkable today's standards but um what do you think of that mate imagine picking up a bloke and then you don't see or hear of him for about three or four years and then he decides whether he wants to come across or not yeah, as you say, like it's it's just unbelievable to even think about that. But I mean, as we were going through the the list, you're like, this bloke, what happened to him? Oh, he ended up playing state cricket, or what happened to this bloke? Uh, you know, he just uh, didn't want to move from his state, and that kind of thing. He's just like, my goodness, like, and and this was the, oh, I suppose you know, VFL will always going to see it as the premier competition, uh, of the nation at that stage. So yeah, it's just a, a crazy thing, and. Yeah, to think that's only, what, 30 years ago now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, well, obviously the money wasn't as good as it is today. And back then, you know, with State of Origin being so passionate, there was some, like, Crowers and South Australians and so forth that just would not want to come across to Victoria. You know, they couldn't think of anything worse than doing that. So even though they had great careers in the sample, a lot of them weren't prepared to even uh, contemplate coming back to Victoria. So you've got to remember also 1986, the Adelaide Crows weren't even thought of. So, you know, it would have been a wild suggestion that an Adelaide team would play in the VFL. Obviously, later on down the track, the AFL would be formed. But, you know, with the backdrop of 1986, uh, South Australians would never have thought one of their sides would be in our comp. So hence why a lot of them never even considered coming across. But on the backdrop of that, the Bombers had picked nine in the 1986 draft and they ended up selecting Andrew Pace. And he never played a game for the club. So obviously with the benefit of how inside, uh, we'd probably change that pick. But as I said, the rules are we can only pick a player that is after our first pick, but prior to our second pick. So, mate, I, I asked you first, some notable players that were available within those um, protocols was Matthew Phoebe, who played for Melbourne, and he was a wingman uh, slash halfback flanker, you know, kicking odd goal here on the run and so forth. So, he, he uh, I think he played about 144 games. So, he was uh, definitely a, a VFL quality player. Then we had Trent Nichols, who, uh, if anyone can remember him, he was a, like a small forward who liked to pinch hit in the midfield. And he had a pretty good career. He, he went on to play 112 games for three different clubs. But he actually kicked 107 goals too. So, you know, for a small forward mid, kick almost a goal a game was quite good, especially back in those days. Because when you think about it, it was a really tough brand of football. You know, much stronger than what we are expecting to play today. So that was another one. So, mate, I reckon 
they are the two. Now, obviously, I imagine you're going to be uh, okay with passing on Andrew Bays. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, who are you going to go with? Yeah, well, you know, just just looking at the, the draft and everything like that, it's actually interesting because while Matthew Phoebe he actually played more games and he's definitely one I, I still remember um, running around and, and playing for the Ds, he was actually crawled by injury for about six years and had to be redrafted in the mid-season draft of uh, 92, I think it was. So, like, his career actually didn't start till six years later. So, but even then, looking at the type of player, I, I am, like, I, I do quite like these forward pocket players that can pinch it in the midfield when needed. Goals are hard to come by at any stage. And certainly for small forwards, kicking a goal a game, you'd, you'd take that every day of the week, basically. And... Yeah, so for mine, I'd, I'd go with Trent Nichols. Like, I think having those those goals and someone who's ready to, to play in the midfield or play up forward, not only is he a good option in himself, but look, even if later on, so we get other players and, you know, they're kicking goals, having someone who's ready to jump in at a moment's notice to play it in the forward or mids uh, creates that competition for spots, which I think's really healthy for, for any list. So he'd be my pick. What about yourself, James? Yeah, well, as I said, I was just looking at those players that were missing from 86. And obviously, as we mentioned before, the players didn't come across straight away. But, uh, yeah, I was thinking probably go more of Phoebe. Obviously, I've got the knowledge that I know that we get Darren Buick a year or two later. And um, I don't think Graham would have beaten Darren for a game. But, yes, you're right. On on all things considered, uh, you could definitely make a case for Trent Nichols. As I said, I think he went on to play in three reserve grade premierships for Richmond. So, And he, he obviously played for North and the Eagles as well. So, yeah, obviously he, went, he was a bit of a journeyman. But he, um, like I said, almost a goal game. You, you'd take that any day as a small forward. But, uh, yeah, I would probably go with Phoebe uh, just because, as I said, as you said, actually, uh, six years of injury. I don't know how patient we would have been putting up with that. But I guess yeah, it was one of those ones, I think, in hindsight, whatever Noel had done, I don't think our first pick in the national draft would have changed the course of history and made us a stronger or weaker side. So, yeah, we'll go one different each. But, yeah, if we're putting our imagination on, um, I'd imagine that didn't make the difference from us climbing too far up the ladder on the basis of that one pick. So the next pick was pick 22, and we picked a guy named Kieran Spawn. Now, I think you'd remember Kieran. Yeah, mate. Uh, Sport of the mullet, so um, hard to remember those sorts of players. <laughs> yeah, well, hard to forget, isn't oh, it? Because yeah. uh, him and Greg Anderson, uh, I remember seeing them run around the wings of, uh, at Windy Hill, and you know they both had these mullets, so... They were a bit of a um, bit of a. You know, they're both from South Australia, obviously, so that may have been a reason why they chose that hairstyle. But no, in all seriousness, um, Kieran had a pretty good career for us. So like he, he was a bit in and out of the side, but he ended up playing seventy-two games for us, and he almost kicked a goal a game. He was sixty-five goals in those seventy-two games, and he did play in the ugh, the ugly nineteen ninety grand final side. So um, he obviously had a chance to become. A bomber premiership player, but obviously we know that day didn't go the way we wanted to. So with that, there was a couple of good players available before our third pick. So 
if you're willing to give up uh, on a Kieran Spawn, who, as I said, had a very serviceable career for us, a couple of players I want you to think about. There was uh, Matthew Armstrong, who was a pretty strong midfield, who could play a little bit off flanks and so forth, but he was a really strong, powerfully built bloke, and he ended up playing 175 games and kicked 89 goals for Fitzroy and North Melbourne. And yeah, he was quite a good player. A player that would go on to win three premierships with the Hawks... And he could have been very handy. He was Darren Pritchard. Now, he played 211 games for Hawthorne and kicked 91 goals. And he really became one of the um, premier rovers with Johnny Platten. Um, so, yeah, Darren Pritchard had a great career at Hawthorne. So, he's another one you're going to think about. And the last one, you might scoff at this because I would hate to imagine him having ever played for the Bombers, but Craig Kelly, Mr. Pinchy Pinchy. He uh, played 122 games, kicked 34 goals. But, uh, yeah, out of those, would you have foregone Kieran Spawn to choose one of those three? Yeah, I mean, personally for mine... Yeah, you know, I probably would swap out Kieran and go with a Matthew Armstrong. I think, you know, just looking at a player like Armstrong, he was a real accumulator of the footy. And, um, you know, while he, you know, might not have done all the brilliant things himself, he's definitely made best use of the footy and put other players in a better opportunity. So got the footy out to, to important players. And he's actually one that Wayne Carey sort of comments on uh, that he really liked playing with when he was at North. And I think when you get uh, compliments from a bloke like Wayne Carey, uh, you must have been a pretty handy player. So yeah, I'd go with Matthew Armstrong. But what did you? What about you, Jane? Yeah, well, using history as my guide, we know that Daisy Williams really suffered with those concussions. So I felt we had a bit of a spot in the midfield. So um, I would have loved to have seen Darren Pritchard coming in and playing for the Bombers. I think he would have got plenty of opportunities in that midfield because, as I said, poor old Tim went down with an ACL and yeah, it took him many years to, to get back to full steam. So there was spots in the midfield. So I can understand your pick of Matty Armstrong as well because uh, obviously he never had the brilliance of Tim Watson, but he was a powerfully built player. So, yeah, either one would have been a great pickup, and that's not to discredit Kieran Spawn because he definitely tried his heart out for the Bombers. But, um, yeah, I think if you had either an Armstrong or a Pritchard in your side, you wouldn't have been upset. But having said that, I'm not marking Noel Judkin too harshly because he found us a very serviceable player. But, um, yeah, in my opinion, I'd go with a Darren Pritchard to help us in the midfield and, um, you know, knowing that Daisy Williams did have a number of percussion issues. So with our pick three, and that was pick 35 in this draft, we went with a player named Peter Reid. Again, another player who never played a game for us. And as I said, these picks were all speculative. So, you know, a lot of them, as I said, didn't even decide to come across. And sometimes clubs were picking these players just on the pure hope that they might come across and have a crack at it. But there was a lot of family pressures and so forth not to go. So don't be surprised when we're reading out names and it's another one that didn't come across because it really was a speculative pick when you pick the player from interstate. So the player that's left behind between our pick three and our pick four, there's only really two players that you would really consider. I think the standout is Simon Minton Connell, who by no standards was a champion, but he was a full forward who always found himself as an option. Like originally he was drafted by Carlton. He'd go on to play 105 games. He kicked 312 goals over his career, but he actually played for four clubs. So he played for Carlton, Sydney, the Hawks and the Dogs. So he's just one of those players that could never, you know, cement 
the full forward spot, but he was a very serviceable player. You know, to kick 312 goals, that's almost the averaging like three goals a game. Uh, not many full forwards do that coming into the competition. So a little bit underrated. And the only other player that I could see that you, where you'd have a choice is maybe Stephen Williams. Now, he only played four games in the VFL because he chose to stay in South Australia. But he did come across to Brisbane one year and had a go, but he only lasted about four games and decided not to play. But he's the brother of Choco. And he was supposed to be very talented, like a very proud Port Adelaide player. Not in the AFL, but in the VFL. Oh, sorry, in the sample, I should say. But um, would you go with Simon Minton Connell there, mate? Yeah, I think you have to. And like sometimes you look at players and they're just bloody unlucky. I mean, if you're if you're a full forward at Carlton, well, it's very bloody hard to kick out Stephen Kernahan, isn't it? So you, you sort of feel for blokes like this. I mean, if someone had told you, here's this bloke, he played 100 games and kicked 312 goals, you'd think, Jesus, like 312, like that's, that's three goals a game. You would take that every day of the week. So very unlucky player. And I think, I guess with the benefit of hindsight, you look at players like, uh, you know, Paul Salmon. Like, Paul Salmon played a lot out of the forward line because Kevin Sheedy said, oh, look, I've got Madden in the ruck. Like, how are you going to kick Madden out of the ruck? So imagine if we had a bloke like Minton Connell who could play forward, perhaps release a Paul Salmon to, you know, play a bit more in the ruck. And that's ultimately what sort of led him to to go to Hawthorne in the end, Paul Salmon, uh, because he... He wanted that number one rock, rock spot, but we just had different uh, different cattle on the field. But what about you, James? Like, you reckon you'd go with Mitten Connell? Yeah, I probably would have. You know, understanding that Paul Salmon was always going to be our first option at full forward, especially in that era. You know, and Simon Madden dressed forward, so he kicked a number of goals as a key as well. But um, yeah, like there would be no harm having a Simon Mitten Connell in the wings. Uh, like again, I don't know how many games he would have played because Sheeds was a bit of a fan of the fleet-footed, and I don't think Simon would have fitted into that area, but particularly if we got an injury or so, it would have been great to have a focal target that was capable of kicking multiple goals in a game. So, yeah, that was another player that was, as you say, very unlucky throughout his career, but very serviceable, and that's why he found himself on four clubs' lists and you know, kicked a number of goals. So, you know, three goals a game, well done, Simon. Now we get up to pick 48. Now, this is a pick... Oh, I would love to, I just wish I had a time machine and I could get into Noel's ear and say, Noel, let me have this one. <laughs> because <laughs> pick 48, he went with Stephen Riley. Not to be confused with Stephen O'Reilly. Uh, and he was another South Australian. Uh, he's another one that never played a game. But uh, I'll give you a couple of players that Noel could have chosen. And just tell me, would it have changed the course of history if we had chosen any one of these two players? So the players available before, uh, sorry, after our pick four and before our pick five, you've got a bloke by the name of Alistair Lynch who would go on to play 306 games and uh, kick 644 goals. And mind you, he played a lot of his career as a fullback. So uh, that's a massive numbers for um, Lynchy. And uh, yeah, I would have loved to have had him on our side, especially in that 2001 grand final. Then... Um, than against us. So, um, yeah, Alistair Lynch was available. And there's also a uh, midfielder who was uh, based in Adelaide, but apparently had a bit of skill. His name was Darren Jarman. And believe it or not, in the 1986 draft, Darren Jarman was drafted by the Dees. Now, obviously, he never played there. Again, he was one of those players that stayed home. But um, 
again, just imagine you could convince uh, Noel to have picked either of those players and, the, and Essendon said, no, nah, we're sticking with Darren Jarman until he comes to Victoria. Uh, what do you think of that, mate? Who, who would you have gone for? Yeah, look, I mean, both class players, like, and Lynchy, like, so so powerful. Like, uh, that's a he's a true swingman. You know, he definitely you know, kicked a lot of lot of goals for Brisbane, but also, you know, played down back when needed. So, um, and obviously, Jarman, uh, another class player. But for mine, I'd be going um, with Alistair Lynch. I just think someone who can kick goals like that, powerfully built people who can read the ball so well, they, they're just worth their weight in gold. And um, yeah, definitely Lynchy for mine. Um, what about yourself, James? Yeah, I've got to admit, I really like Darren Jarman's skills. Like, he had phenomenal skills, especially when he first entered uh, playing for Hawthorne. The way that he hit players on the, you know, sorry to use the expression, but hit them on the tip as they on the lead. It was fantastic, and uh, he had great, great skills. But, um, yeah, you could not overlook Alistair Lynch, and that's why I'm saying I wish I had a time machine because <laughs> I, I just think that could have made a mountain of difference if you had made that selection. But, as I said, it's easy to put a bet on at the end of the race. But, um, yeah, I would have loved to have picked an Alistair Lynch. He was, he was just so powerful, and he, he's such a powerful man, like, in terms of I've seen a bomber size when we've played against him, and, He's just a walking with his strength. So, um, and we've got to remember, you know, he went on to play three hundred plus games. He he fought a really terrible condition, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, and he lost a fair bit of footage during that time. You know, up in Brisbane, and lucky for him, he came good as the Brisbane Lions and Brisbane Bears became good. So, uh, oh, sorry, it would be Brisbane Lions because he he obviously came across part of the Fitzroy uh, merger, but. Um, yeah, I, I would have loved to have had Alistair Lynch in our side. Mm. Um, yeah, I just think that would have been a, a game changer if we had have, um, obtained his services. And I reckon our last pick in that draft, I reckon we'll go with Noel's selection. Uh, our last pick was a bloke named Andrew, Andrew Underwood. You know, he played 12 games for the Bombers, and I remember him uh, running around. Uh, I think he actually wore the number 12 by memory. Um, and, yeah, Andrew Underwood, he was a, one of those tough halfback flankers utility types. He used to every now and then get a run on the ball. I remember a game against Adelaide where he, at Windy Hill, he played a really good game in that one. But uh, he obviously only played the 12 games for us before I think he moved on to Richmond. He played 12 there. But, um, yeah, we're looking at the players after that pick, they're not really available to really consider. So if we go with Noel with one of those picks. So when you come out of that draft, what do you think, mate? Do you think it would have changed the course of history if you add a Lynch, an Armstrong in your case, or a Pritchard in mind into your side uh, going forward? Do you think that would have strengthened the Bombers? I think it definitely would have strengthened us. Um, would it change the course of history? Of, I mean, like we were pretty lucky to to play in that 93 grand final I have such a great um side as it was and it's like sliding doors uh sort of scenario you, you bring him in does Dutson Fletcher play as early as he did I highly doubt he would if you had Lynch playing at fullback so yeah look it's uh it's an interesting one and having that other midfielder there that can definitely help your side I personally don't think it would change the course of history but Jesus would have made it bloody exciting to play and as you say we had you know a player of Lynch's capabilities in 2001 where um, while he had those issues uh, with chronic fatigue he proved himself to be a very durable player and as we know the one thing that really plagued us in 2001 was the injuries late in the season to key players 
imagine, you know, heard uh, Lloyd couldn't play, but you were able to bring in, you know, Lynch to play that forward role. Like you'd you'd bloody take that, wouldn't you? So potentially something there, but nah, look, who who knows? But what about you, Jam? Do you reckon your side would change that a bit? Yeah, well, I'm not really thinking of the '93 and 2001 and much. I'm I'm more thinking of two. Uh, sorry, the 1990 Grand Final. And uh, in that game, Gavin Brown was just so strong. And, he, you know, we had to play Terry Danaher on him. And he made Terry look that he was at the end of his career, basically. <laughs> he was just so vibrant. And, yeah, I would have loved to have had a Alistair Lynch back then to, mm. you know, um, use some physicality and, and maybe quell that player. So I, I think if it had a changed history, it would have been more the 1990 final, um, grand final, sorry. That would have been a big change. But I, I do get your point, and I think it's a it's a good point, the sliding doors in terms of you know, if he was still there playing for us in 93, does Fletcher get opportunities? Obviously, he had a choice between Lynch and Fletcher back then. He would have chosen Lynch with his strength and so forth. So, um, yeah, you're right. Like You've got to be careful if you're really if this was real because... You play around with history too much and you might not get any of the results that you <laughs> wanted. So it's a bit cheeky to, um, to hypothesize about. But um, like I said, uh, that's all we're doing here is just saying what what would have been available to us. Uh, and if we had a crystal ball and could have helped Noel on the day, um, you know, to add a Darren Pritchard and an Alistair Lynch in your first year of the national draft, I think it would have uh, definitely strengthened our side. Mm. Um, so 1987, uh, which is the, the next draft, the backdrop to that was we'd missed the finals for the first time under Kevin Shee. And we finished that year ninth with a 9-12 and 12 record, and we had a draw. Now, Tim Watson only played seven games for the year after returning from an ACL. And Mark Harvey only played one, and Vanderhaar again was crueled by injuries. On the positive side, we did have a North Ringwood schoolboy make his debut, and he'd become a future captain. You know who that was? Ah, oh, that's got to be Gary O, mate. Yeah, that's him. So, yeah, he he only played the one game in 1987, and he, and back then he wore uh, number 44, so he didn't actually wear the number 10 that we're so, you know, we so much remembering by. But, yeah, he definitely had, uh, obviously, some future with the Bombers because we know what happened from there. But if we enter that draft, as I said, the Bombers had just missed it. They still had some relatively young champions to build around. But uh, we actually had pick six in this draft. And Noel, at the time, decided to choose Andrew Rogers, who went on to play eight games with the Bombers, mainly down back. He was a big-bodied... Uh, sorry, big... Big bodied, um, full back, half back kind of player. Um, from my memory, he had not bad skills actually, but um, he sometimes struggled one on one. But obviously, being a young player, um, so when we look at that, there's really not a lot to choose of, choose from, that where Noel could have had the data to pick before our second pick. So the only player that I panned across that. Again, he's a bit of a loose cannon. And, um, again, we may have been waiting forever and a day. Was a brother of Darren, Andrew Jarman. He was available. You now he's drafted by the Brisbane Bears, but yeah, obviously never went up and played there. But um, what would you have done? Would you have gone with Andrew Rogers and got the eight games out of him? Or would you have taken a punt on Andrew Jarman and hoped he came across? Yeah, well, this might be one where you go, oh, geez. Maybe we should have played the long game and picked Darren in '86. <laughs> Bring the combo over. 
No, like, look, as you say, at that time, the Sandful is obviously a, a strong and proud uh, competition in its own right. So that looks to have been the decision he made at the end of the day to, to not come across to the VFL. But yeah, so to pick a player that you know has got the talent but never comes across, you'd probably go, you know what, Noel probably got this one right. You know, we've got eight players out of a bloke where we would have got none out of Jarman. Doesn't matter how many, like how much talent he had. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I'd be highly sceptical he would have come across to Windy Hill. But um, like just by name would have been nice uh, because, again, he's a bit of a loose cannon, as we know, but he, he certainly had skill. You couldn't you couldn't deny that. Um, okay, so our next pick was pick 19, and we actually picked the player who's more known for his cricket capabilities in Jamie Cox, yeah, the, the Tasmanian cricketer. Uh, we made that selection. And he potentially could have played for the Bombers, but um, Jamie decided to focus on his cricket and obviously had a pretty good career without actually you know, getting into Australian squads regularly. He um, did uh, you know, focus on his cricket. So we never saw him play a game for the Bombers. So um, after that, the, again, as few and far between players actually being available from our pick, compared to our next pick. And the only name that really jumped out at me on this one was Brendan Gale, obviously the now CEO of Richmond. And he had a great career at Richmond. Uh, you, know, you can't deny that. I'm a bit sceptical of how many games he would have played with the Bombers uh, because Richmond really struggled for a lot of his career. But he played 244 games for the Tigers and he kicked 204 goals. So, yeah, I'd say picking a cricketer against the Brendan Gale, I think if he had a, a game with the reverse history, you may with Brendan Gale, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. It's funny, like I've heard um, Brendan Gale talking different podcasts about about his career, um, and he sort of says by his own right, like he was just one of those players that um, like made like got the most out of himself by um, you know just training hard, and he probably wasn't those miraculously skilled player, but he just he was constant and um, someone who could play. Um, really anywhere like he was I think he played sort of like a bit of bit of rock a bit of sort of on the half uh half forward I, I seem to remember him but you definitely go with someone like Brennan Gale who could be serviceable plays a bit of a utility and um yeah he's obviously done quite well in his career yeah so we move forward and uh pick 32 was the next one and the bombers select a guy named John Cook and again, he never played a senior game. So you can see a real trend, with, especially in the early parts of the draft. So many players were selected that never played games for the team where they were chosen. So um, he was another one that fit into that. Um, and there's probably only two players, mate, that I noticed that uh, could have been viable options that you may know. And one was Andrew Opst, who played 149 games with the Ds. He's a bit of a midfielder utility He's pretty strong. Um, he's South Australian, I believe, and he, he was another one that took a little while to come across, so you wouldn't have got instant rewards. You would have had to have waited. But, um, yeah, he was quite a powerfully built person. And the other one was a player that we actually did select finally in 96, I think it was. But, um, yeah, Doc Wielden, who um, had a good career at Fitzroy. Again, another one of those loose cannon types, but, yeah, he could kick a goal, that's sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you look at some of the highlights and the goals he kicked, and you're like, Jesus, where did he pull that from? Freakishly talented player. So, look, I mean, looking at those, oh, personally, I'd go with a Doc Wilden. Like, I just love watching these types of players um, as a fan. Like, super talented. And I think, you know, if we look at the personnel 
at Essendon at that time, we had some good senior heads, and obviously Kevin Sheedy being there as well. I, you know, I'd sort of back that list uh, and Kevin Sheedy to uh, maybe temper some of those party boy tendencies he had, because I think, you know, imagine the player he could have been. I've heard, you know, players who um, who were at Fitzroy, you know, in the late '80s and early '90s, and they've sort of said that at the time they like the whole. It wasn't just one or two people having that party boy mentality. There was quite a lot of them. It was almost like a, a club, like a club thing. So, you know, maybe with Doc being there for so long, he was sort of entrenched in his ways before he came to Essendon and, um, you know, uh, obviously eventually got ousted. But I think, yeah, looking at the players available, I'd go with Doc. But what about you, Jane? What do you reckon? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Doc for sure was definitely a player that would keep you entertained. Sheeds... Uh, as much as we know him as being jovial, I believe he runs a pretty tight ship. So whether Sheeds could temper him, I'm not so sure. Whether he'd get frustrated by him. So uh, I think it would have been... I, I personally, I think Andrew Ops would have been more of a Sheedy type. Sheedy likes the players who are pretty rough and tough and work hard to get the footy and stuff. But yeah, I certainly take, for, take your um, comments because yeah, it would have been very entertaining watching Doc... Um, strutty stuff around Windy Hill around that time. But, um, yeah, and I think he would have enjoyed playing in front of a bomber crowd. But, yeah, I think knowing the coach at the time in terms of Kevin Sheedy, I think he would have loved to play like Andrew Ops who was a bigger body and could assist in the midfield. So, again, probably not, neither of them were going to make us all sudden premiers or anything like that. But with the, uh, with the benefit of hindsight... I think either of those guys would have been better than John Cook. No offence, John. <laughs> so the next one, we had pick 45. And when we selected, we we selected with that pick, a real win, because uh, Noel Judkins chose David Grenvold. Now, obviously, he's a member of the 1993 Grand Final. And uh, he yeah, he was a rough, tough halfback flanker utility again. Yeah, he just had a bit of an aura of him. Like, he wasn't overly... Um, like, he didn't have the physical, uh, you know, uh, mantra of looking like someone who would knock your block off. But to me, I kind of sensed other players from other teams were a bit fearful of him. I think they knew how tough he was around the footy and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think he made others walk taller. So I think that was a great pick by Noel to pick David Grenville. And he was another South Australian that, you know, we had to we had to uh, weigh up our time before he came across to the Bombers. But, um, yeah, he definitely paid dividends when he came across. Was there anyone there that you uh, looked at that possibly, you know, may have taken his spot? Yeah, well, look, looking around that mark, um, the only two players you could possibly consider are Stephen Tingay, um, obviously had a good career with Melbourne, and uh, Liam Pickering, who uh, played for North. Like, both good players in their own right. But I think you're right, like, um, and you hear other players talk about who are the, who are the players around you at Essendon that, that took you up took you under their wing and that kind of thing. And David Grenville is definitely a name that always comes up. Like even, even heard he's talking about, you know, how important he was like giving a bits of advice here and there. And definitely those sorts of players um, really helped us when we were the baby bombers. Like, so yeah, I mean, Stephen Tingay and Liam Pickering. Yep. Very good players. No denying that. But I think, you know, 
shoring up your defense in uh, in having a like a really strong, uncompromising, I'd say, backman like David Grenvold. I'd be very happy with that pick. And yeah, I'll, I'm going to back jo- uh, Noel in on this one. I reckon he's done pretty well. Yeah, uh, yeah, lock it in, Eddie. <laughs> so yeah, I reckon that one uh, he's done very well. So yeah, I didn't even think twice about those other two players. Like, Liam had a great career, especially when he went on to Geelong. Um, and you know he's obviously a player agent now. But um, yeah, Liam, I don't think he would have uh, joined with the Sheedy mentality. Sheedy would, I think, would have chewed him up pretty quick. So yeah, he had a lot more expectations out of his midfield. Um, Liam Packer, Liam Pickering, sorry, was a good attacking midfielder. But uh, Sheedy's likely to work both ways, and I don't know if Liam had those capabilities. So yeah, David Grimbold all the way. Now, our final pick in that draft, we used on a player named Peter Bennett. And again, he's another one who never played for us. Look, the only player that I can find after our pick that uh, was any note was a Simon Trigenza, who ended up playing for the Crows. But he was uh, originally drafted by the Dogs and, again, never chose to come across to the BFL. So even if we had gone down that route, I highly doubt Trigenza would have ever came to the Bombers anyway. So, you know, we've tried to make these picks with some realism, thinking would the player actually come across? And, yeah, probably Simon would have been another one that wouldn't have come across anyway. So I think when you look at it in hindsight, if you walk out of there with David Grenvold, yeah, that's a great draft anyway. But, um, yeah, if we had have added to that, you know, a player like a player like a, um, Andrew Obst, or in your case, Doc Wielden or a Brendan Gale. You know, these are players that I can't see changing the course of history. So mm. I think, you know, it's always easier, as I say, to place a bet at the end. But, um, yeah, when you look over the history, our first two drafts, what do you make of them? First, our, the real picks that we actually selected. And then after that, our, our hypothetical picks. Yeah, it's um as I said before, it's a really interesting exercise to go through because you know I think Noel Judkins did about as good as any other um, selector for those two years. And look uh, again, like you touched on it before, it wasn't your your full time professional you know career. You know, blokes still worked full time and stuff like that. So you weren't coming over for money. You were just coming over to play footy, and certainly that wasn't going to uh, put food on the table. So you don't you didn't have that pull factor. For a kid from Adelaide, you know, come over and you get 200 grand or something like that. It was, uh, come over and you, know, you might get a match payment or something like that. So that was really interesting to go through to see how many players got selected but never came across or never played a game, um, not only for Essendon but for, for every VFL club at that stage. And I think, you know, if you go through, you know, during that period, obviously, Grenville, we've sort of um, mentioned, yes, you... You could have, you know, with that crystal ball, like imagine adding a, a Lynch or a um or a Jarman or a, you know a Pritchard or those sorts of players, even a Doc Wilden. Imagine if you can get his head right to to play a extended career. Like just would have been amazing. But again, looking at it, no, wouldn't change the course of history. But you know, might have made it it's a bit more competitive in in those leaner years. But no, it was just a, a fun thing to go through. And I'd be interested to get some feedback if anyone's um got anything, any ideas they'd want to throw up, any different picks they might select. You know, if you want to chuck that into our um our accounts, so donscastpod at gmail.com or um donscastpod as our Twitter handle. Uh, I'd be interested to get your feedback. But what about yourself, Joe? What did you take from the hall? 
Yeah, well, like I said, uh, you know, we walked out. In each draft, we've at least got one serviceable player. Um, and I think back then that was a pretty good strike rate. So, you know, we walked out with Kieran Spawn in the first draft. Um, you know, again, not a world beater, but, you know, to play 72 games, kick 65 goals, was a fairly good player to pick up. And then, obviously, you've got, you know, David Grenvold in the next draft, who would obviously go on and play in a premiership. He played in the 1990 grand final. So he actually played in two grand finals for us. And as you say, was seen as a bit of a leader around the club. So, you know, I think at that stage, if you got one good player out of it uh, each year, you you really strengthen your side. But, uh, yeah, as I said, I can't help but, you know, just wishing. Um, I would have loved to have seen the benefits of, you know, having the foresight to pick an Alistair Lynch. I think that would have been amazing. Darren Pritchard would definitely have helped. And, um, yeah, like I said, benefit of hindsight, I would have loved to see those two selections especially come across, but wasn't to be. And we all know that we won the 93 grand final, and that's only six years away after this draft. And as I said, these players weren't coming across immediately. It was really the long game, you know, pardon the pun. You had to take a selection and then hope over time they would choose to come across. So, yeah, it was definitely a different process than what we're used to at the moment. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed us going through this, and it's something we want to continue. We won't always be able to do it each week or each that but um depending on your your feedback on this uh if you enjoyed it please let us know and we'll know to add it as a, a regular feature beautiful thanks guys and again uh for that feedback tuck it through to our gmail so that's donscastpod at gmail.com and our twitter handle is donscastpod send us your feedback be yeah look forward to reading it all right well i guess that will wrap up the show it's a bit of a long one for us again i think we're itching because we've missed the footy so much you know we we're looking so much for yeah that's that game on sunday yeah obviously didn't happen but we've got saturday to look forward to and we know it's definitely going ahead now so that's great we look forward to our preview show on thursday we'll do a full rundown of the team and go through some bomber predictions and we'll do our remember when segment and we all know there's a few carlton games that we can remember fondly and there's some we don't want to remember, so we're not going to bring out those ones. <laughs> Bloody oath. <laughs> so, uh, once again, thanks for listening to Don's Cast. And with that, I'll say, go Bombers. Can Don's.